Hey, good Wednesday afternoon to you. Gabe DeArmond here, PowerMizzou.com publisher. This is Power Mizzou Live every Wednesday afternoon. Coming to you 45 minutes later than usual because I had something I had to take care of. We're going to bring Gerard Hamilton in in a minute, as well as Anthony Dasher from UGASports.com. We're going to talk about the marquee matchup in America this weekend, the Georgia Bulldogs and the Missouri Tigers at Furrow Field. But before we do that, we always like to uh, thank our sponsors, and that is James Carlton State Farm Insurance, based out of Webster Groves, uh, St. Louis, Missouri, carltoninsurance.net. You can call James at 314-961-4800. Anything you need insurance-wise, James is going to take care of you. The one guarantee he's going to make, if you give him a call, you're going to talk to an actual human being, which is a good thing. Uh, Unless, I don't know, maybe you're watching this show and you'd rather not hear from an actual human being. But uh, if you call James, you'll be happy about it. He is a Missouri fan, a PowerMizzou.com subscriber. And if you get in touch with him and mention to him that you heard about it on this show, he is going to donate $20 to Missouri's NIL Collective Advancing Missouri Athletes. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, James Carlton State Farm. Speaking of a leg and an arm, Missouri hoping to get out of Faroe Field this weekend with all limbs attached as the Georgia Bulldogs come to town. Uh, Gerard Hamilton in the middle of your screen. Anthony Dasher from UGA Sports, kind enough to give us a few minutes before his semi-annual trip to pick up Q39 in Kansas City and cover a <laughs> Georgia win in Columbia. Dash, what's going on, man? Guys, how's it going today? I'm doing well. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking some time. So, look, I'm just going to give you my theory on this game uh, right off the bat, and you tell me if okay. there's any chance I'm wrong. Uh, okay. Georgia kind of sleepwalked through a game last week against a team that they knew it could beat with a D game. Uh, they won by 17 points, and within 10 minutes of that game, Kirby Smart was probably berating his players telling them you are not good enough to just roll your helmets out and beat anybody you want. I'm going to kick your ass for five days in practice. <laughs> you take Missouri seriously. And if Georgia does that, Missouri's in a lot of trouble this week. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. After that game, you know, I went in, you know, in fact, I was joking with some uh, people that Kirby was going to go to his press conference and kind of point it in the media and say, I told you guys they were good. But honestly, he, he didn't do that, which kind of surprised me. He uh, actually uh, talked about how the game was a – a growing opportunity for for his for his team. He didn't really uh, come out guns blazing, pointing out the mistakes, which there are plenty of them in that contest. Uh, he uh, again just took it as a as a learning opportunity. And I'm sure, but, but privately, quietly, I, I'm sure the the players this week uh, had a interesting practice to, to make sure some of those same mistakes did not happen Saturday night in Columbia. Uh, I think it was Coach Drink, and probably it was probably both Drink and, and defensive coordinator Blake Baker who was saying that. UGA doesn't have many flaws. They don't see many things, you know, they're bad at. But is there any type of advantage or any sliver of, you know, a flaw that UGA has that Mizzou can take advantage of and maybe score up there? Well, Georgia fans will tell you that the running backs are subpar this year. Not all fans are saying that, but, you know, you know how fans can get. Georgia's had so much success running the football historically. But, but this year they have not had the explosive plays you know that uh, I think Georgia fans have grown accustomed to in the past. But on the other hand, this team has also averaged about 530 yards of, of total offense, which if the season were to end today would, would, would beat the old record by about 60 yards. So, I mean, Georgia is doing just a fantastic job of spreading the football around. 
They've got even with some wide receivers, I think they're going to be out for this ball game. Yeah, they they just got tons of weapons. They're able to get the ball to and, and the tight ends. I know uh, you know Missouri's well aware of what Georgia has at its disposal uh, there. So it's a very balanced team. Uh, they know how to get the ball to, to the playmakers, and so far the playmakers have known what to do once they get the ball in their hands. Dash, when I look at Georgia's program, it's like. Alabama on like a three to five year delay, right? Uh, because Kirby got there obviously a little later and, and got started a little later. Um, but, you know, they they started stacking these top three, top four recruiting classes. And then, hey, they got 92 guys or whatever it was drafted last year. They haven't missed a beat. But the way I really see it, Nick Saban was like this anti, you know, hurry up, no huddle, spread offense guy. And, he won games with defense and average quarterbacks and all that. And then all of a sudden, Nick Saban said, all right, well, everybody's doing it, so I'm just going to do it better than everybody else because I got better players. And Kirby has built this thing based on, hey, kind of defense. And, yeah, they're going to put up some points, there, but they're mostly going to do it with the running game. And, and now all of a sudden, like you said, they're throwing the football all over the field. I mean, has – it, what's that transition been like with the defensive guy who's the head coach who all of a sudden has one of the best offenses in the country? It's been very interesting. I mean, like you said, the first, you know, two or three years, maybe, you know, three years into Kirby Smart's uh, you know, tenure at Georgia, you know, Georgia was a team that was going to, you know, run the football and do it well, but use the run, set up the play action pass. This year, we've seen none of that. I mean, it, and I think it really all started in the SEC championship game, what, three years ago, four years ago, whatever it was, when Georgia got their tails kicked by LSU, when Joe Burrow went in and they just threw the ball all over the field, had all these tons of yards, scored all these points. And I think that's when it finally, uh, you know, resonated with Coach Smart a little bit. To say, hey, I might need to kind of change my way of thinking a little bit. So in comes Todd Munkin with his NFL pedigree. And, uh, and it's a, an entirely different offense than what you, what you saw for this program like three years ago. Uh, I think it was it was Drink Coach Drink. I'm sorry, I got a lot going on. I'm thinking about, uh, but it was Coach Drink who said, you know, the the defense is pretty much multiple. They run three, four, four, mm-hmm. two, five, three safety sets. Um, for one, what does Georgia predominantly run, and and how does a team that lost all those first round draft picks and stuff keep retooling and still, you know, look just as good? Well, they. they... Their base is a is a is a, is a three four, but they will not they hardly ever ever show that. I mean, they'll play with the five defensive backs. They have a star uh, money position because uh, uh, pretty much everybody anybody now is kind of running that some kind of type of spread offense because they're going to be throwing the ball on first down. So they want as many defensive backs I think on the field as they can. But uh, you know, it's uh, defensively so far. So it's, it's uh, the team has honestly surprised me. You know, Gabe, you mentioned all the players they lost to the NFL, and this year they are playing a lot of guys who you know who are inexperienced and have a ton of, uh, you know, playing time in, in, in college. But so far they've uh, adjusted, you know, pretty well. And, you know, granted, I'm not sure how, you know, well, all the, how good all the offenses uh, they play so far are going to be, you know, as, as the year moves along. Now, Oregon has proved since then to, to be a pretty, you know, pretty sound team. But Georgia, you know, to their credit, they just have been plugging different guys in. But so far the results of, uh, to this point have actually been even better than last year. I'm curious what I, I mean. Look, every coach every week says kind of the same things, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're fast, they're athletic, they're well coached, they're a good team, all that. But in talking to, I don't know what your guys. I mean, I have an idea what your guys' access to coordinators or assistant coaches is, but um, yeah, exactly. But I, I'm curious what Kirby and, and maybe anybody you've talked to mm-hmm. uh, in Athens this week uh, about Missouri. Like, what are they? When they look at Missouri, what kind of 
stands out to them and not necessarily is a concern, but just kind of what, what are their first impressions? I, I, when, when actually Kirby was asked that yesterday in his press conference, the first thing he mentioned was uh, the defensive front. I mean, uh, he talked about the job they did against the run, you know, last week against Auburn, how Missouri always plays very physical. They're good tacklers. And I think that's going to be his biggest concern going in. And I mentioned, I kind of mentioned that as a, as far as the running game goes. Again, Georgia's not really had that is the kind of production I, I think from a running standpoint that people are used to. But uh, in, but going against this, you know, what Kirby says it's going to be a very tough uh, challenge in, in Missouri defensive front. It could be a could be an area again where Missouri could have some, a little bit of an advantage. We'll see. Uh, despite all those great players and you know Jordan Davis being one of them, a lot of people are saying Jalen Carter was actually. The, the best defensive lineman on that on that uh, front four on that line. First off, what's his update? I feel like I saw something that he yes. had some type of injury concern. And besides him, who has stood out to you on the defense that you didn't expect? Yeah, Jalen uh, has been dealing with uh, an ankle injury. It happened uh, actually, he's had it for about three three weeks. A little little nagging deal. Now, he played only like a handful of snaps last week. Uh, the week before, I think he only played nine against South Carolina, but. I, I, and Coach Mark said that said yesterday that he's uh in fact he said today during the SEC teleconference that Jalen is feeling a lot better and uh is not a hundred percent yet, but is as close to being a hundred percent as he's been, you know, in a while. And and you're right. I mean, even last year, I mean, Jordan Davis uh, will tell you, Quay Walker will tell you, uh Devontae White will tell you that he was the strongest member from a physical standpoint of the defensive front last year and uh preseason all American and you what you know the draft projections I've seen having you know going this year as a top five pick, so he's definitely a guy out there. But there are some other players, you know, as well. And then the Zero Stackhouse has come in and with Jalen Allen has started at nose guard for the past uh, past three past two games, I believe it is now, and has been been very effective. Uh, there's freshman the defensive end Michael Webb. You talk, you're talking about guys who have a uh, you know George able to just to replug in. You're talking about another five star kid, one of the top, I think, of the top ten, top twenty, whatever recruit uh, last year stepped in and done a good job uh, for them at that spot and then <clears throat> even of course at linebacker they've lost everybody and but uh one uh, young man a sophomore jamon dumas johnson has come in and been the, the leading tackler you know, so far and in the secondary of course uh, you know, chris smith uh, safety is a veteran but kitty ringo who had the uh the pick six last year against alabama is, is back and having a fantastic nobody hardly throws on him uh at least haven't so haven't so far this year and Combine that with a good group of uh, you know uh, you know other you know safeties and cornerbacks they have with this team. It's, again, it's the defense is shaping up to be pretty pretty good again. Spend a few more minutes here with Anthony Dasher from UGA Sports. I want to invite you guys that are watching live. Feel free to to throw your comments, questions, whatever in the queue. We will get to them after we let Dash go. Gerard and I will will hang out for a little bit and answer your questions. But uh, you know. I, Anthony, I've always checked out your guys' site, uh, really like what you guys do. And so I like to to read your message board and stuff. And <laughs> I know there's been a uh, there's been a journey that Stetson Bennett has gone on the last year and a half with Georgia fans. I, I'm just curious, like as a guy who's covered this thing for a long time and and you've seen a lot of kids go through here, like we always say, hey, you don't really root for a team necessarily, but you root for a story and you root for kids. I mean, that's got to have been a pretty cool thing to see up close what Stetson's done the last year and a half. Stetson, the Stetson-Bennett story has been the most intriguing, most interesting story I've covered in you know, my 20, what, six years, whatever it's been of covering, you know, UGA. Uh, he's a modern-day Rudy. In this, uh, in this story – 
Rudy actually does something. And does something. <laughs> right, right. Rudy's actually good. good at football, Rudy, right? Rudy's actually very good at football. I mean, again, talking about a guy who in 2017 was running scout team quarterback. I know at the Rose Bowl, the story's been told a, a thousand times. He was he was out there emulating Baker Mayfield, giving, giving Georgia a look they would have not, not gotten otherwise. Guy winds up uh, transferring, goes to uh, the Jones Junior College in Mississippi, I believe it was, comes back on scholarship. Uh, still going into last year was a 13 quarterback behind uh, you know, JT Daniels and Carson Beck winds up winning the job, leads Georgia to a national championship. And this year is, is on pace to perhaps set the Georgia school record for passing yards in the season if the, if the year were to keep going, you know, like it is. So just an amazing story, amazing kid again. You know, he's not six foot. He may be a buck 85 soaking wet, but he's got, he's got a, a stronger arm than people giving credit to. He can move, uh, can run. He's got what four or five touchdowns, you know, rushing this year. He's a uh, just a guy that makes things happen. And in his story, again, it's just one of the more remarkable ones. You know, not just uh, I've ever seen you know covering Georgia, but in college football, you know, entirely. And, and I just want to jump in real quick with a follow up on that. I mean, at what point did Georgia fans kind of start to? Because I know midway through last year, it was. Yo, when are we putting JT Daniels in the game, man? This is like this is fine for now, but this isn't going to work in the playoff. So, did it take him winning the national title yeah. before fans uh, changed their mind? I think it did. I mean, I remember now, you know, being in Miami for the Orange Bowl. I remember that that week, me and uh, you know Seth Emerson from the Athletic were actually staked out the airport at Miami because JT had the Daniels flying in late, and people were saying, "Oh, JT is going to get the start this game." There was a rumor going around he was going to get the start in the Orange Bowl against Michigan, and you know all. all Destin does go in and win the you know game MVP for offense, and uh, you know goes in the next you know, two weeks later and wins the national championship. Uh, but you know he had struggled you know somewhat in the in SEC title game last year against Alabama and, and Atlanta, but, but again came back strong. But yeah, I think uh, it wasn't until actually won the championship was, was smoking that victory cigar that I think uh, a lot of Georgia fans finally came around. And said, hey, all right, you know he's a pretty good quarterback. All right, well, one of my final questions is just keys to the game. You know, three keys to the game for Georgia to make sure this game is, you know, not a problem, not something where they they have to worry too much and play and probably play their starters too long in the game they probably expect to win big. Well, first of all, I think they just need to play their standard. I mean, Georgia makes a big a big deal about playing to a standard no matter who the opponent is. They did not do that last week, so I think it's going to be important for them to come out on Saturday night and kind of get back to what, you know, you know ultimately earned them that top ranking in, in the polls, you know, this year. Second, um, uh, just stay healthy. I mean, they, they're at the point right now with the schedule. They don't need to be, you know, losing anybody in the, what they, again, what people think is going to be a blowout game. So make sure everybody, you know, stays healthy. But, uh, you know, other than that, I think it's uh, just, just uh, you know, just offensively, just, 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 just keep doing what they're doing. I mean, they don't, Georgia is one of these teams that they, if, if they feel that they can execute to their capabilities, do what they're supposed to do. You know, opposition is not many teams. It's, it's gonna it's gonna matter what happens, and I think uh, you just want to see them come out and uh, make a make an early statement, uh, have some more success in the red zone. And that's been one of Coach Smart's so, you know big big things of late. He hates settling for field for field goals. They've done a good bit of that. I think uh, you know, I think eight eight trips to the red zone so far this year resulted in field goals. He doesn't like that, so cleaning that up will be key. Well, Dash, I know the key for you guys is uh, is the barbecue on the way oh, in. Yeah. So, what is it? Oh, Friday yeah. night and Saturday for lunch? No, What's the plan? No, just 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 Friday, I think. I already already got my reservations made at Q39. Uh, uh, just a place that you actually turned us on to those these, these many years ago now, and I have not deviated. I've been to several other places in in KC, but uh, 
you got me hooked on Q39, and I'm not changing my mind. <laughs> all right, buddy. Well, looking forward to, to catching back up with you Saturday night. And uh, when we all have our stories written at halftime, maybe we can just hang out in the second half. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, man. Anthony Dasher from UGASports.com. A guy I've known for a long time. One of the best in our network. No question. And, uh, like, look, <laughs> we don't mean to make light of it, but, Gerard, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to invent a scenario where this one is really – interesting i mean what's if you're eli drinkwitz what are the goals here going into this you gotta start off fast they haven't had a first quarter or first drive touchdown all year uh at least i can't remember or maybe yeah they had a field goal versus kansas state but they have not had a first uh first drive touchdown they've been talking about starting fast all year offensively and defensively and they couldn't really get it going the defense usually catches back up even though sometimes it takes a couple punches to in the mouth to get it but the offense is just, it's very stagnated early on. Yeah. I mean, here's the way I look at this one. Look, we know, we know what's likely to happen, right? I mean, Georgia's probably going to win this game and probably going to win it pretty big because the truth is if Georgia plays an A or a B game, they're going to beat most teams in the country by three, four touchdowns. I mean, that, that's just a fact. But here's what I want to see out of Missouri. So last year, Missouri went into this game, backup quarterback, all that. And they quite clearly, from the opening snap, we're just playing not to get beat too bad. They were super conservative, handing the ball off quarterback run. I would actually kind of like to see Missouri go into this game and just go play football, man. Play play your game. Take a shot. If you get beat by 60 points, you get beat by 60 points. But don't turtle up and play scared football trying to only lose by 26. Like, go take your shot because you're in the same league as Georgia. So you got to go act like you're in the same league as Georgia. Yeah, I forgot where I heard this from, but it wasn't too long ago. Like somebody was saying, well, if you're if one team is going, you know, is overmatched and facing, you know, this juggernaut or whatever, you might as well play because no one expects you to right. to win the game anyway. So if you lose, no one's going to be like, you know, Missouri lost or whatever, because that was an expectation. But if you win, people are going to be like, oh, you did this, you did that. You know, you were being explosive. You did all this and that. So they should try to do that because they have nothing to lose. Yeah, I'd like to see. Hey. Trick plays, you know, put, if Luther Burden can play, put him at quarterback a few times, just whatever you got to do, man, pull out, pull out all the stops and go out. And again, if it results in you getting beat by 57 points, so be it. Like, I don't think there's a big difference between losing 40 to 10 and 65 to 10. I don't really care. You weren't close to winning a game, but go take a, I felt like this game last year, Eli Drinkwitz played from the opening snap just to not get beat too bad. And I think that's a bet. Even though we're sitting here saying, hey, this isn't going to be a game and all that, like those kids in that locker room deserve to be given a shot, right? To to be told, hey, we believe in you to go do it. Even if they don't believe in him, just tell them you believe in him and coach like you believe in him. Yeah, that, I mean, they've got they've – got- they got a fighting, what's it, a puncher's chance, but they should actually take that yeah. chance. Don't don't right. quit before, you know, anything starts because you don't know what can happen. And considering what Kent State did early on, like everybody knew Georgia was going to turn it up, but it was still just kind of like, okay, like right. even Kent State can do that. So Missouri should be able to think the same thing. Yeah. So like I, I said, if, if Georgia plays an A or a B game, Missouri can't win. Like what, what, letter grade of a game does georgia have to play before we can start talking about yeah 
I mean, if Missouri plays an A game and Georgia plays a what game, Missouri would have a shot. Because <laughs> I lean, I'm somewhere between C minus and D plus. Yeah, we right there. We right there. That's that's about it. I would say it's D. It's or, or it would be yeah. a D, not even D plus, just D. Okay. Um, C minus is kind of C minus sounds like it was one of those games where Missouri loses by 16, but it was like a yeah. close 16, like a late touchdown or whatever to, to boost right. it up or something. But nah, it's gonna take about a D, a A plus performance, and a hot start uh mm-hmm. to to get something going. No, I mean, look, this should be the biggest crowd of the year. It's a night game that Missouri fans have been asking for forever. So the first quarter is huge. Like, I've been at games against teams like this. Uh, 2010, Missouri hosted number one Oklahoma. And now, look, that Oklahoma team was not as good as this Georgia team, and that Missouri team was better than this one. But point being, Missouri took the opening kickoff back, and that place went freaking nuts. And, like, that momentum – carried Missouri for like two and a half quarters. So what you're saying is, is right. Like you need something good to happen right off the bat. And even if it's, you know, even if it's only seven, nothing or something like that, just, just get something good to happen early and give you guys a little bit of belief. And and on top of that, I guess I'll preface it with this. Yes. You want the first drive just because it'll start building your momentum, get everybody comfortable. You want that to score, but really it's just, Score first or keep up when it comes to a team like a juggernaut. Like if they score a touchdown and, you know, maybe that next possession you don't score, but you hold them on defense and then you score, like that still works. Even even a stop would be big for Missouri. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, we've got some questions and comments building up, and we're going to get to those in just a minute. But, um, you know, real quick, just – just want to get to, we talked to Eli Drinkwitz yesterday afternoon and talked to some defensive guys last night. You're going to go over and, and, and talk to Harrison Mevis and some offensive players tonight. Just, just kind of curious from your perspective, either out of what we've heard or out of, out of who we're talking to tonight. I mean, what, what's kind of stood out to you this week, anything that, you know, since the end of the Auburn game that, that kind of is, Hey, this is, it, this caught my ear. I mean, we, uh, I guess one of the big ones was Drink talking about Nate Pete um, and, and kind of what they've, they've preached to those guys as far as ball security and things like that. And you can tell uh, Drink was obviously disappointed at the result, but you can still – Nate Pete is going to be the guy. I feel like okay. it's it's ramping up more. Um, that was his best game. That was probably – that was his second 100-yard rushing game of his career. Um, his best was last year, I believe, versus USC, where he had 120 yards. He had 110 this game. And if you take away the fumble, obviously, even if he doesn't score, his that that rush for 20 yards was the longest rush by any player on Auburn um, or Missouri for that game. So he he showed something, and they're still going to trust in him. But they he made it an emphasis to note that like they've been teaching ball security probably as long as he's been the coach here. Right, and and, and I think that's a a good point to bring up and talk about for a minute because, you know, so often fans and any media too, I don't mean to separate it, but so often anybody that's watching a game says, you know, blames the coach for everything. And like Eli Drinkwitz was asked yesterday and he said, we tell our guys all the time, you can't dive for the end zone unless it's fourth down. And, uh, you know, I was talking to Dave Matter after the game on on Saturday, and he listened to Sam Pittman's press conference, the Arkansas coach, 
after Arkansas lost to AM, in large part because AM had a 99 yard fumble return when KJ Jefferson did pretty much the same thing Nate Pete did. And Sam Pittman said, Look, we stress this every day. We tell them, unless it's fourth down, you don't die for the end zone. And Pittman said, But if they did what we told them to all the time, we would win every game. You know, and and that's the point. These are not robots out there. They're 20 year old kids. So everything that everybody wants to say, well, this is bad coaching and that's bad coaching and fire the coach and he's an idiot and all that. It's not like these kids just automatically go out there and do everything he's ever told them to do. Because if so, like being a coach would be easy. Being a parent would be easy. <laughs> if kids listened, nothing would be hard. Yes. And, and on, let me preface this by saying drink did of course, take responsibility for a mm-hmm. loss. The verbatim said he doesn't blame any player for the loss, but he did note that, you know, he does that they show a presentation or something like that about ball security. And there's plenty of times where somebody, even in whether it's being a celebration, which I don't think Pete did in my opinion, or is it just a play like that where you just lose the ball, you know, you know, kind of tuck it in unless it's fourth down. Now, now let's talk for a minute though. I just absolved Eli Drinkwitz of responsibility for Nate Pete's fumble. Let's talk about the two things that he absolutely can have the blame for. Number one, Missouri's played two road games and they failed to show up in either one until the second quarter started. Now, at least they showed up in this one in the second quarter. I'm not sure they ever showed up at K-State, but the slow start did just a team that looks totally unprepared out of the locker room is one. Number two is you should not jump off sides on a field goal one time in an entire season. And Missouri just did it twice in one game. Like the penalties are, ridiculous with this team i it you know in week three it was all about the offensive line you know the five holding penalties all all start yeah all that stuff and and they only had one holding call this week that was the only thing on offensive line but there was just a lot of ticky tack things whether it's offsides blocking in the back all types of things where it's just like why are you why are you making these specific plays like a hold Although holds are bad, you can understand why when a hold happens and why it needs to happen. And somebody's about to, you know, blindside Brady Cook, you can see why there would need to be a hold or something like that. But some of the penalties just do not make sense, and they're coming at the wrong time, and they start to add up as the game goes along. And I hadn't really considered it until I went back yesterday and watched, rewatched the second half in overtime. The player that jumped off sides on the overtime field goal was Darius Robinson who was literally lined up over the ball. Like, he is staring at the football. That guy can't jump offside. Not ever. How's that happen? I don't. It's. <laughs> I mean, I'm it's, not expecting really an answer, but, you know. I just, it's hard because it's, it's a play that needs to be talked about. But when you think about how good that defense looked from the second quarter to I the agree. rest of the game and how, if again, I mean, Mevis guy has to make that kick. Mevis makes this kick. We're not even talking about this. We're not talking about any of this. So it's hard. Like, that is very true. He cannot be lined up with his head in the neutral zone, basically. But, I mean, if they're playing like this, when they make those type of mistakes, the little, you know, a couple penalties here and there, it's, you know, you can forgive that easily. But Yeah. And and I don't mean to harp on the Auburn game. We're trying to move on and all that, and, and we're going to do that. We're going to get to your guys' questions now um, and comments, and if you have them, continue to, to post them, and we certainly will uh, we'll try to get to everything here before we finish up. But AU Stock says, is it true that if Mizzou beats Georgia, the Georgia players will be made to find their own ways home? Um, 
I don't know. Like Kirby doesn't seem like the nicest guy in the world. I think he would let him get on the team flight, but um, I mean, put this in, let's try to put this in perspective and I'll just do it in Missouri perspective. I don't know point spread wise, all that, but if Missouri wins this game, I think it's the biggest upset in school history. Like, I don't think they've ever had a win that would shock me more than this game. So so obviously you don't have quite the 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 background of of having followed Missouri football for 35 years or whatever but just in terms of like what's happened in college football this year this would I don't know if this would be the biggest upset in the country but it might be it definitely be the upset of this season yeah. <laughs> um, let me let me preface this with a question back to everybody else and I'm sure they'll they'll answer on the forums and stuff I asked before the season if what you know, would they rather take would the fans take a Georgia win, even if that was going five and seven? And of course, I believe the answer is no, you want to get to a bowl game and stuff like that. But but that now answer. the answer well, is yes. exactly when now considering the circumstances and how things are looking, if someone told you now at two and two and how the season's looking, you will beat Georgia guaranteed some way, but you will go five and seven. Would that kind of make you not feel like the season was a success, but it had something? I want somebody to tell me. I know they're going to tell me they think I believe that or whatever, but that's interesting now that we're in this predicament. Because I think everybody would take it now because I think everybody looks at this and goes, well, they're probably going five and seven anyway. So if you give me five and seven with Vandy, New Mexico State, and South Carolina, or Vandy, New Mexico State, and Georgia – Give me Georgia and I'll take the five and seven. Um, so I was going to bring this up earlier, but I saw it in the question. So I held on to it. Kyle McCormick wants to know much of the talk after every game pertains to Luther Burden's usage. In reality, he's probably the second or third best offensive weapon currently. Where would you rank him among offensive weapons right now? So we'll just start with the actual question. If you're ranking Missouri's offensive weapons, where's Luther Burden fall there? Not like potential wise, just what we've seen. Love it. I'm, 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 yeah, I was going to say Pete, but I was going to say I made, I said something the other day, like whoever hasn't started besides this last game, whoever didn't start had the better game. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you could just say either running back, honestly, but we'll yeah. go Pete, you know, for the sake of it. Uh, so love it. Pete Bannister actually is second in receiving in like a lot of the categories, obviously, He's only used at some points and stuff, but whenever he's on there, he's usually doing his job well. And then you got Burden, so that would probably be it. I, I'd probably still put Burden third. I understand I'm probably falling a little bit victim to potential and hype and all that, but you just told me so not to far, do potential. I know, I know. <laughs> so far, but Burden has been in the end zone four times, right? And that I think Wait, leads I the team. I thought it was just, I thought it was just maybe three. Two. Maybe three. He had two. Versus he had two in the first game. He had one against oh, Evelyn Christian in the return, on the yeah, punt return. Yeah, so maybe yeah, three. But yeah. point being, I I don't know if he leads the team in touchdowns, but he's right there. Um. Yeah. Okay. You know, so I'd, I'd probably still put him third. But this brings up a bigger point. I mean, first of all, I don't know. I I, I don't know where I fall on this. You think Luther Burden plays on Saturday? He should play. Because I think he should. He should play if he was really questionable. Well, let me say, I think he should if he's healthy enough to do so. If if it's a situation truly where Drinkwitz is just going, hey, go out there and fair catch a punt and just 
you know, whatever, be a decoy. I don't see the point in that. He should play if he's healthy enough to actually be a part of the offense. There's no such thing as being a decoy versus Georgia. They don't have right. the talent. Right. To they don't say, care. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're probably going to, you know, I'm not going to say necessarily lock him up completely, but Luther would not be going off for 100 yards and, you know, eight catches or whatever, probably versus this Georgia team anyway. So, yeah, I don't think there's being a decoy. It's funny that he's questionable. We've had this conversation as far as like, he went out most of the second quarter. I mean, quarter. he played the He's, second half. And then he played offensive snaps and had a couple targets, you know. So it wasn't like he was out there limping or he just didn't do anything else. Um, so he should play. And there's really no reason unless his injury or whatever progressively gets worse somehow that he, you know, that he's not out there. I agree because, look, he played in the second half. And they didn't practice Monday. So unless he got hurt in practice on Sunday, then there's no reason he doesn't play this week. Um, and if he doesn't play this week, then it's either, well, you holding him out and you don't need to, or why did he play last week, right? One of those two. But the bigger point of this is, and look, we, we've built this up too. The media's done it. Everybody's done it. We all have played a part. But this is a freshman wide receiver. He's not, he can't come in and make an offense that isn't good, good. He can't change a program by himself. And the sooner we can get to the point of talking about Missouri football and Luther Burden, rather than Luther Burden and Missouri football, the better for everybody involved. I agree. And people, when they see five-star talent, Think about it. More times than not, you're seeing a five-star talent get added to a team that does not need the talent. Like that, you know, that, that like that team isn't going to be based off whether that person plays or not. Missouri needing a five-star freshman to start in the SEC, which we say all the time. Like if you're doing that with players in this league, I mean, that's kind of tough. You really need that player. So, and we're seeing it with Dom Lovett. That I think he was a four-star though. Takes right? a year. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it takes a minute to, you know, get your legs under you. Yeah, so I, I don't think the start of this year means Luther Burden is not going to live up to the potential or anything like that. I think he very well could. The other thing, I saw a tweet a couple days ago that had the stats of the, the top five ranked receivers in this class, and, like, Luther has as many catches for as many touchdowns as any of them. You know, I, I mean, it's just – it's hard in year one. That's that's all there is to it. Kyle McCormick says, Dalen Carnell seems to consistently make plays when he's on the field. Do you think he gets more snaps as the season progresses? And this brings up a, a larger point, and Carnell is the guy that I've kind of used to illustrate it. You got to start playing some of these young guys because they're better. Like, Dalen Carnell, every single time he's on the field, to me, makes more plays than Martez Manuel when he's on the field. You've got to turn some of this stuff over to the guys with the higher potential. And I'm not saying Martez Manuel doesn't have a role on this team. I think he does. But Dalen Carnell getting 17 snaps versus Martez Manuel getting 48 doesn't make sense to me. There there could be more of a split. The only way I can think, though, Manuel being out there is just, you know, helping the defense, especially with uh, Chad Bailey being out. I know Damian Wilson is going to be setting it, help setting defense, calling the plays and stuff like that. But I feel like when – you got that safety in there. Safeties also are capable of wearing green dots and calling plays and things like that. And I feel like he'd probably be the one safety of the three starters yeah. who would be, you know, able to do that the best. 
But I and, get what you're I saying. I agree. Yeah, I don't. I don't mean this to be an anti-Martez Manual thing because I it, look he came very close to a game clinching interception, which by the way came off a of Dalen Carnell tip. But I just think that Eli Drinkwitz has shown a propensity when in doubt, play the experienced guy, even if the inexperienced guy seems to maybe have a little higher upside. And I think at some point you got to get to playing that upside. I agree. He, he definitely has a, a, a burst and a pop to him. It feels like when he's on the field, it feels at times manual can go, under the radar, which isn't bad. Sometimes you do not want to have your name come up in conversations because it just means you're doing what you're supposed to do. But sometimes you also want to be like, hey, what's that guy doing right there? Like when we're talking about Tyron Hopper, we're always saying that every game that guy right there is making a play. Yeah, the next next two comments kind of go together. Kyle's asking, do you think some of the younger guys will get more chances after the Georgia game? And then Cam Cameron is saying, I found Drink's comments about Tavoris Jones interesting. Uh, why was the plan to play him against Auburn when he didn't get any snaps against Abilene Christian? So he did get, he, he got in the last snaps. series, right? Yeah. He he had three carries against Abilene Christian. But the way I took Drinkwitz's comments yesterday were, Tavoris Jones was in the game plan. He was the third running back on the team. And once we got into it, Nate Pete was running really well and Cody Schrader was doing okay. So we just never hit a point where we went to that third back. But I think Tavoris Jones is a clear number three on the depth chart, at least if Elijah Young is out. Now, if Elijah Young comes back, who knows? But again, that kind of goes back to that conversation of, let's see what he's got, man. Put one of the young guys out there. Yeah, but I definitely understand why he didn't do it in week three. I mean, 20 at Auburn, yeah. yeah. And even Schrader. Schrader had the touchdown, and he had seven yep. carries for, I believe, 39 yards. And also had a big, nice carry that would have put Missouri in game-winning field goal range if not for a holding penalty. Yeah, so, like, and he played well, but Pete just played so much better. You can't yeah. do that in a close game like that. So, it's just he wasn't – he just didn't have the time or the opportunity. But but I think we'll see Tavoris Jones. Uh, now, whether he plays in more than four games and burns a red shirt could depend on just how the season goes. But but I think we're going to get a shot to take a look at him. Um, Cam Cameron says, Drink needs to make play calls like he did in year one against LSU and throw every wrinkle in the book. I tend to agree. Uh, Jackson says, do you think fans have the right to complain about the output of the team when fans don't seem to compare care about supporting during rough times. I mean, college football's weird. Like what you they've got to have the support to win, but they've got to win to earn the support. I I don't know. Uh it, it's a tough question. I think if you are one of the people who chooses to spend your money on it, your complain and your time on it, your complaining maybe carries a little bit more weight. But look, man, everybody's a fan of the team, and when the team's not doing what you want it to do, I mean, uh, I'm not going to tell anybody not to be disappointed. You got to think about any fan, any team you're a fan of, professionally, college, high school, well, maybe not high school, but college and professionally, most of the fan base are Fairweather fans. There is a, I, in my opinion, I feel like most people are like, oh, this team's doing well. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. And then there's this real group of you guys who are there through thick and thin. Um, so you got to understand that you're probably not going to outnumber a casual fan. And so you telling them to do that, it's not really going to work. But I get, I would get why you're upset when you've been in, you know, 
through the tough times and when they're good and stuff like that. But you can't tell somebody you can't. It's not going to. It's not going to do anything. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it it's not going to prevent them from having a Twitter account or an account on Power Mizzou or all that. I and we do understand the question, Jackson. But like, look, I've been doing this for a long time, and I always get accused of like lecturing fans and and talking down to them so i'm trying not to do that um i i understand why everybody's upset about the way this year has gone so far uh i think some of the reaction is certainly a little over the top um you know i don't think we need to be talking about firing guys in year four or week four and all that but hey that's the internet and and that's where we're at so uh Dave, I think I think they should t- if they listen to us just a little bit more and tame the expectations. Just tame it just a little bit. I don't know. We trying to lead them the right way. He, he said it, guys. I didn't say I told you so. He said it. I want <laughs> you to remember that. So, um, uh, all right. So uh, you're going over. I, I'll be interested to see what Harrison Miva says tonight. Dom Lovett's talking. We'll have another full notebook tomorrow. We'll have the the preview on Friday. Give us a sneak peek, man. Like. You're picking Missouri to win again, right? You picked them to win last week, so you, you're sticking so with me, that? Let me, let me – <laughs> okay, two things. One, Missouri should have won that game. I said they were going to win 23-10 right. last week. They should have won that game. So I'm going to count that as 3-0 this year. I picked the games correctly. I'm 3-0. I, I, I don't know if you know, but that's not how this works. That, it's it's how it's working today. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, but um, I will take Georgia – you said this right is what, 28 or 28, 28. and a half or, yeah, 28 and a half, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I'd say this score is going to be 45 10. It's, you think they get in the end zone, huh? It, I'm thinking more so of K State situation. Okay. <laughs> you the, okay. Everybody's got their four stringers in, and you're at the one go, one yard line, and Drake is like, I'm yeah. going to get you, Tavoris. I got you. <laughs> <Something>. <laughs> I, I haven't settled on a score yet. I, I don't gamble. I don't believe. I don't encourage other people to gamble. I would say if I did, I've been told that the Georgia first half line is minus seventeen. I think angry Kirby and angry Georgia might have a pretty decent chance to be up more than seventeen at halftime. That's that's my only prediction for now. So uh, okay, that's well. Do you have a what's the full one? I need a full. I one. haven't gotten there yet, man. It's oh. not going to be close. I'll say that it's not okay. going to be close. Predictions are fluid, guys. They're fluid. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, Gerard, appreciate it, man. Um, look forward to uh, to stuff out of tonight. And uh, guys, appreciate you guys watching. If you joined us live, hit the like button, the subscribe button, do all the things that make YouTube think we're way better at this than we actually are. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, leave us a nice review, all that. Regardless of if you do any of those things or not, the most important thing is reach out to James Carlton State Farm in St. Louis, Missouri. He can take care of your insurance needs in Missouri, in Illinois. He's got some teen driver stuff. If you've got a teenage driver in the house, need to check out that. He can do auto, home, life, all those things, carltoninsurance.net. 314-961-4800, facebook.com slash carltoninsurance. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm and also mention Power Mizzou, and he's going to make a $20 donation to Advancing Missouri Athletes, Mizzou's NIL Collective. Appreciate you guys joining us, and uh, we will be back late into the night on Saturday from Faro Field, or maybe we'll just do it at halftime, but we'll see you then.